Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me. And they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable Radio. Today is not unlike any other Tuesday. We have another amazing, unstoppable guest with us. Angelica Singh is with me today. She is the founder, facilitator, and creator of a holistic approach to healing called the Embodiment Process. She trains other healers in her approach, and she works with individuals and groups utilizing biodynamic cranial sacral therapy, trauma resolution, medical intuition, and depth consciousness work. Angelica's work was detailed as a feature article in O Magazine, Oprah's Magazine, and she's been a frequent guest on the Dare to Dream radio talk show with my friend Debbie Dashinger, as well as Late Night Health with Mark Allen, the James Bond Prague Show, and the Autoimmune Hour. Angelica's work has also been sourced for uh, featured interviews in Mind Body Green Magazine, Ohm Times, and The Whole Lifetimes. As a facilitator of healing and awakening, Angelica's mission is to empower each person as she affects a shift in consciousness through her workshops, large presentations, one-on-one in-person sessions, or globally via Skype. And she is soon to release an online course to share her work with individuals seeking to be healed. Welcome, Angelica. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Boy, you've sure done a whole lot in your life, and um, it, it's you know, as, I, as I, I mentioned to you off here, on Mission Unstoppable, we like to show and, and model behavior and show people that, you know, you can start at one place and end up somewhere totally unexpected um, in, in their lives. And so, if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to um, Angelica, the little girl. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Pittsburgh, in Pennsylvania. Oh, in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what was what was your, your dynamic like? Did you have brothers and sisters or... I did. I have an older brother, and it was just um, myself and him and my parents, and my parents um, immigrated from uh, northern India. Mm-hmm. And so as a little girl, like, did you, I mean, we all dream, oh, gee, what do I want to be when I grow up? Did you know what you wanted to be, or was it always kind of mm, everything or nothing or <laughs> something? Where were you? Yeah, I didn't really, I really had no idea. I think that I really spent most of my time um, being an athlete. I I think that was the thing that made the most sense to me. I loved playing on team sports, but I wasn't a person who really had an idea of what I wanted to do. I always liked helping people, and because both my parents were medical physicians, Western medical physicians, I definitely noticed early on that I had an intuitive knack for um, perceiving people's problems, let's say. Yeah. And did you did you um, notice your intuition in any other areas? Um, definitely. I, I was very, I think one of the best things about 
what looking back on it now, which probably wasn't something that people liked a lot, or my parents certainly weren't that fond of this particular skill, is I was a very instinctual kid. I knew right away when I liked somebody or when I didn't like somebody. Oh, okay. And that was something that, you know, I think when you're a kid, sometimes parents don't appreciate um, because we tend to be a little bit more abrupt and ungracious as a child. You know, we (laughs) somebody, we make faces, we don't, you know, we're just kind of, ew, I don't really like that person and we can't really say why. But when I look back on it now, I realize that I had a sense about people Mm -hmm. and when they were being honest and when they were being forthright. And it's something that I'm so glad I didn't allow to get too repressed in me because it's one of the things when I work with people now is really helping them be in touch with their instincts and not suppressing them to be a people pleaser or because it's not nice or because our parents wouldn't have liked it and it's not the it's not the good girl thing to do. So that was something I think that was a rub and a conflict because I yeah. didn't I wasn't presentable. That makes a lot of sense, especially with your parents both being Western physicians. They have a different mindset. But I think you're right. And, and a lot of people who, I mean, people go, well, you know, I wish I was psychic. And so many people do have, you know, psychic ability or intuition, you know, abilities, um, but they're suppressed because of the socialization process, right? We're all socialized. to. And your parents would have said, well, that's not very nice, Angelica. You should like that person. You should be more open-minded. And you're like, no, I know that I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason, but I can't explain it to you. Right. you know, instead of trusting your own judgment, your innate judgment. You know. Yeah. And also, you know, I think, you know, intuition, I think, really scans, it's it spans the gamut of functional, which is maybe instinct, instinctual, like people call it the gut instinct, mm-hmm. or really your sensitivity. That's the other thing. Oh, you're too sensitive. Why are you crying? You know, we don't really, a lot of parents, especially when I was raised, mm-hmm. we just didn't have access to the level of inquiry and observation that we might have today if we were more parenting more consciously. Would you, um, yeah, I mean, like, were, were you, uh, I don't know, were you, were you uh, I, I want to say something. <laughs> I'm thinking crystal children and, and, and all of those. Like, were you in a group like that when you were growing up? I know that you're not that old, so. No, no, I wasn't. I mean, I'm, it I'm, been anything like that. Yeah, I'm in my mid forties, so it wasn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, I grew up in a kind of a blue collar place, so it was definitely, definitely not more like a <laughs> children. Do you fit into the football group or not? That's funny. You're so funny. Um, now I know that you, this is, this is so interesting because it's almost a, a similar path that I followed. And I'm like, Oh my God. And 20 years older than you at least. But, um, you, you graduated, um, magna cum laude, laude with, um, in, with your, your bachelor of arts in English. And for a number of years, you know, you did the online marketing and writing and editing and web content. And then you switched and you went to healing arts massage. What happened that year that made you switch? Um, I had really bad shoulder pain, and I couldn't take it anymore. I was miserable working in an office, trying to adjust, trying to get the right mouse, trying to get the right setup. And, you know, I think like a lot of people, really had no clue. I mean, how do you, you don't really, unless you're apprenticing with somebody and, and somebody takes you under their wing to guide you towards being a healer, you don't really know how to do that, especially coming from a more traditional or conservative background mm-hmm. in the coast at the time that I was raised. You just, my parents were immigrants. They made it in the United States and did well for themselves because they followed a structure and a, and a conventional 
um, path, which really didn't give them access to understanding how other entrepreneurial or creative ways mm-hmm. of being in the world would be be available to them. So I really didn't have a clue. And so it was really pain in the corporate world, just physical pain that, that I just, I didn't feel, I remember thinking, I can't live like this. I can't come home and put ice on my shoulder every night and, and have to take 600 milligrams of Advil to feel better. Yeah. I understand that. <laughs> so, so that was your introduction and you, you know, and, and you flew with it and you immersed yourself in this, you know, this, um, healing world that, you know, a holistic healing from yoga to, and then, and then you did the cranial sacral therapy. Um, what was it about that, that you really felt compelled, you know, to keep? Well, I think for me, and and this wasn't in my bio in the one that we shared with you, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I had a massive, massive psychic opening and, and a very, uh, strong, um, awakening really at 28. So that I was doing a lot of the work, meaning I had gone to massage school, I had gone to uh, classes in cranial work and all of that and the yoga. And it really actually uncovered a lot more of my trauma from the past and my anxiety. Um, I had pretty, a pretty dis, what I would call a dysregulated nervous system and a dissociating way of being, a dissociative way of being. And I really came into a lot more of my awareness around that as it got worse. It didn't really get better. Well, I did read that you had an eight-hour long panic attack and a resting heart rate of 105. And that you actually were on a meditation retreat in Bali and and had a cardiac arrest. So you had a a near-death experience. I did. I did. And it was very intense. And, you know, that was really a culminating place for me. It had been building over many months and I was really kind of coming unstitched. <laughs> and it, it's not, you know, I can say it lightly now, but it's yeah, not- it must have been scary as heck. Yeah, it was. It was very scary. And I, I used to say I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. And it lasted. It didn't go away in a week or in a month, it lasted for a while. And now I look back on it and think, you know, it had to be that way and it was great. But at the same time, you know, it was a life-changing experience and it forced me and really compelled me to have to look really deeply at what is what was going on with me and really what does healing mean? What is what does it mean to be alive? How am I choosing to be here? All those big existential questions. I think that anybody who goes through a big traumatic mm-hmm. crisis or healing crisis or spiritual emergency, whatever you want to call it, whether it's energetic or because of an accident or a trauma from the outside, whatever the circumstances, it really puts you up against, you know, you have to really meet your maker, so to be, so to say. Yeah. Now we're going to go to commercial break in, in probably a minute or so. So I just, um, think about that as we answer this but uh that you awaken the kundalini and and i've heard before that it can be a very very scary experience for a lot of people like is it dangerous i mean you had a heart attack what you know well i didn't have a heart attack well cardiac arrest yeah i mean there was no damage so it was i just started to leave but um yeah i think it's extremely dangerous and i think you can die from it and um i don't think people when i came back to the west i was in bali at the time 
when I came back to the West, I could I didn't really I think I met one or two people that knew what I was talking about and only really one person that could in some ways help me, at least nutritionally and get a little more grounded. And um, it was difficult. I mean, there are books. There's a book by a guy called Lee Sinella, who was a psychiatrist, who wrote a book called Spiritual Emergency, which was really all about people having Kundalini experiences and the kind of support and assistance they might need because everybody's journey is unique. Wow. I, I, wanna, I, I, I want to talk about it just a bit, little bit more when we come back from our commercial break. We are going to go to commercial break. You're listening to the voice of Angelica Singh. She is an amazing holistic healer. And when we get right back, you can hear more from her. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso, and you're listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. Don't go anywhere. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Whether you are a man, woman, boy, or girl, lifting weights is an important component to your exercise program. Strong says that challenging your body with different exercises and routines helps keep your workout interesting and effective. Make sure that when you're lifting weights, you are working to fatigue or failure to get the most benefits. When lifting weights, reaching failure means that you could not possibly do one more rep. Your muscle has failed. Fatigue means you can barely do one or two more repetitions and keep your good form. If your workout is too easy and you're not reaching failure or fatigue, it's time to lift heavier weights. Be aware that your form is vital and reaching fatigue or failure is much more important than hitting a certain number of repetitions. I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Thanks for sticking around. We are back. My guest, as I mentioned earlier, is Angelica Singh. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso. And you're listening to Mission Unstoppable. Before we went to our break, we were talking about a Kundalini experience. And I just wanted to ask one last question on that, um, Angelica. Do you think that, that people um, are, are, are in, in waters that maybe they shouldn't be playing in? When it comes to, you know, they talk, I hear a lot of talk about Kundalini this and Kundalini that, but I'm wondering how experience, like you said, you found one person, like, should they, should they be awakening the Kundalini? I think that we live in a time where consciousness is very uh, sped up. Mm -hmm. Not, I mean that we are, it's quickening, meaning that people are awakening probably at a faster rate than any other time in history. So I don't think it's, 
absolutely necessary to try to awaken one's Kundalini. Um, I think that when people have experiences like I had, it would be very hard to avoid, meaning there was really no way that it was really fate for me. Mm-hmm. There wasn't really a way, just like I think when big accidents or things occur, as you know, in your own life, mm-hmm. there are certain things that, you know, you really couldn't have changed. Right. I think the challenge that we live in is, is that there are a lot of people who probably teach Kundalini yoga or practice a lot of yogic techniques and exercises. And maybe we don't appreciate the level of depth and, uh, the complexity of the experience. Now, there are some people out there that I've seen uh, that have written books that definitely had much more awareness, but I would say all of them had experiences themselves. It is really an experience that has to be learned from the inside out. So it's a difficult thing to claim being able to teach to raise the Kundalini without really knowing the dark side of it Mm -hmm. because you don't know the pitfalls. You only know the euphoria. Interesting. Um, that's a good segue, actually, because I'm going to segue to the dark side for a moment, because I was listening to an interview that you had, and you talked about um, that there's more dark spaces than light in the, in the universe, you know, in ourselves and in, in the universe. Um, you want to talk to that for a moment? I mean, maybe that was part you were talking about shadow self. Maybe you were just talking about the, you talked about the earth. You talked about the universe being dark, um, not necessarily negative dark, but dark. Yeah, no, there's more dark matter in the in the universe than there is light. And the percentage is, is much higher than there is light. That doesn't mean that we live in uh, negativity right. or in darkness all the time. It really just speaks to making a relationship with consciousness as it is in a whole way, as opposed to only identifying with one side, because we are both. We have we are duality. We are formed in duality, and that's really the realm that we live in. So if we're not comfortable with what we don't know or we're not comfortable with things that we don't know about ourselves or at least making space and having some respect and humility for what we don't know about ourselves and what we don't understand, it really begins to taint our perception of reality in a way that I don't think is incredibly useful and it doesn't um, facilitate more compassion and what I would call cooperation and sustainability in the world because we don't relate to the other in a way where we would know ourselves better. Yeah, no, in, in your embodiment process, you, you know, you talk about uh, it's designed to awaken a person's connection to themselves, their gifts, you say their true purpose and passion, um, and with the courage to follow through their unique path. And you also talk about um, cultivating and strengthening the spiritual adult perspective. And so th- I think this is where that spiritual adult lives, right, on both sides of this. Absolutely, absolutely. And and being able to have a, a little more respect and appreciation for the fact that we have ignorance. Right. A lot. <laughs> I think yeah. a lot of people, you know, it's very difficult to know oneself. And, you know, it, I think it does take oftentimes, I think, um, you know, it does take somebody like yourself to navigate with people uh, to go deeper. Because, you know, it's, a lot of people, you know, you hit a wall and, and that's, oh, I hit a wall. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the, the first 
really the first module of the way that I teach people when I teach trainings and for the upcoming online class has a lot to do with being able to embody self-compassion to develop and cultivate a neutral witness from an embodied space so that we are really comfortable living in the vehicles that we come in, which are these bodies and Mm -hmm. the human nervous system, the intelligence of it, and how does it develop in its most optimal way? How do we get in touch with that? And that has a lot to do with slowing down and beginning to incorporate a level of appreciation and slowness in our inquiry process of how we perceive and sense what's occurring for us in the moment. And I know that I'm, you know, very guilty of not being slow. And um, on your website, you actually have a free download. Um, go to Angelina Singh, Angelica Singh, sorry, um, dot com, and you have a number of actually free downloads that people can um, experience. And one of them is about slowing down. And, uh, you know, it's a meditation or um, a guided meditation, I think. Um, Why is it so difficult for us to slow down? Like, what makes it so hard? There are a lot of reasons for that. And one is is that we live in in a society and in a culture, particularly right now, that really is marketing us and ratcheting us up into states of consciousness that help them uh, make us more impulsive. That's uh, if we impulsively, the one-click impulsivity. Mm-hmm. And so that whole technological drive speeds us up. And it creates a series of chemicals in the body that make us more impulsive, that make us more likely to shop, really, and click-click. And that really takes us away from ourselves. So part of it is that kind of addictive tendency to stay away in the, in the culture that we live in and also trauma. Mm. You know, we come from roots and epigenetic lineage and histories that often have trauma in them. And as we evolve as humans, we're becoming in some ways more emotionally conscious of these things. And in other ways, you know, we have other factors that are deviating us from being able to connect and be socially cooperative and make eye contact and slow down and really be relational beings. So we could have inherited trauma from um, surviving, you know, in the worst scenario, genocide or Holocaust and or slavery or um, a refugee parent or, you know, it could be anything or it could just be birth trauma. It could be something that we experienced a separation from our mother or from a family member or a death that um, nobody dealt with in us. And that creates what I call a rev in the system. And we move out of the window of tolerance for being able to digest our emotions. So, you know, you and I experienced a session and um, in that session, I I held a lot of guilt, a guilt for a lifetime, three lifetimes ago, you said um, that I brought with me again. And I, still was trying to compensate for which you said I didn't need to compensate for anymore but had I been in in you know your actual presence um you would have you would have you said you know I wish I could get you on the table I wish I could get you on the table so what being on the table what would that have done like what what happens on the table well to some degree I I have to be honest I'd have to say I don't know exactly okay what would have happened Um, But because if we were just talking about your specific circumstances, whatever that factor, that imprint was living, it was really living in your pelvis. Mm -hmm. 
And that imprint, in order to metabolize it, when it gets met with a certain amount of contact that is not holding the vibration of guilt, it will begin to metabolize it. It's as though the contact can mirror a certain self, a certain compassion, mm-hmm. a certain ability to, I can digest this. Ah, okay. So it's really a mirror. It's not so much that me as the practitioner is going to digest it for you. What I'm going to mirror with my contact is health. And that everything is digestible. Everything is redeemable, if we said it in a more existential way. But at a body level, it's that, yes, the bigger primordial womb, the connection to the deep feminine can absolutely metabolize your guilt. And you have that within you. And if that gets mirrored in it to you through a certain kind of contact and resonance, your body will start to click on and do it itself. Wow. That's amazing. And I know that... Um... You know, I don't think you glossed over epigenetics, but I think it's an important, you know, to talk about it because, I mean, that that you come into this world with, I came in with, you know, past lifetime, but you could come in with your parents, your grandparents, you know, 10 times grandparents, you know, trauma that, right. that you bring with you um, and don't know it. It lives deep in our subconscious and you would not know it until you bumped up against something that you just needed to change is that you know when the change became it became so difficult that change seemed better than than living with something because oftentimes we hate change so much that we don't do anything until you know we have to that's right and and a lot of that is because these things when they occur generations before they were they were there so much further before we got there so we had to merge in with that energy it was we were constellated into it if you will as that gesture of who we are who we are became manifest in physical form so we're carrying that in our consciousness and so when it's mirrored to us and we expose the darkness right it's in our shadow so to speak and when it's exposed and there's some light that come in that can come in and we can be with it and appreciate it and include that part, it can it can it can be seen as something that serves and it can begin to uh, release itself if it needs to be released, metabolized if it needs to be metabolized, transmuted if that's what needs, or just included and appreciated and left. Interesting. Such interesting stuff. And, you know, I hope that you're listening with an open mind to all of this because so many people have been healed. And, you know, whether you understand it or not or believe it or not, uh, only believe in Western medicine or not, um, these amazing, you know, things happen in in this world. And, and I think that you need to be open. Angelica, I mean, the article in O Magazine, for instance, was absolutely fantastic. What a testament to you. It was Um you know, it was written by a young woman um, who, who, you know, really couldn't thank you enough for the work that you did with her. She lived her whole life with such anxiety and stress, and now she doesn't. So that's awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Yeah, we're going to go to commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Angelica a bit more. I want to get into some of the shadow work and um, – that that people can do and what they do experience and not understand when we get back you're listening to mission unstoppable radio again angelica singh is my guest today go to her website www.angelinasingh.com and maybe get your free download Uh, take a meditation 
a guided meditation. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. It can be difficult to find good, fresh fruit in the fall and winter months. Are there other alternatives? Frozen fruit is a great choice. ABC News reported that frozen fruit can actually be healthier than fresh fruit. Some of the healthiest foods in the grocery store are in the freezer section. They state that fruit loses important nutrients the minute it's picked. And how long after harvesting you eat it impacts its nutritional value. Most fruits are allowed to fully ripen before they are harvested and frozen, so they are at their peak of nutritional value. But many times, fresh produce is harvested before it's fully ripened, so it is artificially ripened when it's transported to the supermarket and doesn't provide the key nutrients. So don't let fall and winter months tempt you into foregoing fruit in your daily diet. Consume frozen fruit and enjoy all the nutritional advantages. It's marching down here are some tips from the popular UK internet site BuzzFeed to help make your life a little more fun. Next time you catch a cold, try adding a touch of magic by holding a handful of glitter in front of your mouth just before you sneeze. By the way, here's a word coined by a Canadian disc jockey for that feeling you get just before you sneeze. Anticipation. Hey, slang is just language with its sleeves rolled up. The actual medical term for sneezing is sternutation. Here's a suggestion from one expert for making a cell phone last longer. You can double the battery life of your cell phone by simply putting the darn thing down. Well, that's plain old rumble gumption, which is another word for common sense. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Okay. It's a great song, but we can stop it now. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Okay, they don't want to stop. They like it too much. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that. Uh, love the stones. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. If you were wondering, uh, it's talk radio. And... <laughs> You wouldn't know if I are coming in, but that's okay. Angelica Singh is my guest. We're still talking to her, and we're enjoying it. She has a um, a booklet called Living with Intention, and if you go to her website and download her newsletter, you can get that for free. So that would be awesome <laughs> if you take that, and, and you can learn a little bit more. You've had a lot of training, um, Angelica. You trained in pre- and perinatal birth trauma training. Uh, you trained with Peter Levine's somatic experience training, the Milne Institute, cranial sacral training, the yoga training. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff under your belt. And now you're training. You know, you're training others to do uh, the work that you created. That's pretty exciting. It is, yeah. It's, a, it's been a full journey. What, do they, what does somebody need if they want to do the work that you're doing? What would they need to have um, in their background to take your workshop? as a facilitator? 
Well, the great thing is, is that the online class that's coming out in March is really designed for lay people and practitioners. Anyone can take it. So there's no stipulation around that at all. Um, the trainings I do in person tend to be geared towards people who would like to be practitioners, but that mm -hmm. also isn't that case? Isn't the case? I had a lot of people come that were lay people who really just wanted to get better at relationship, because a lot of what I do is teach people how to be in relationship with themselves and with mm -hmm. others. Because if you're in relationship with yourself, you're much. It's much easier to be in relationship with others. You know, so many people, myself included, um, from time to time, and you know, are very very cruel to themselves as a matter of fact the things that you know I would say to myself I would never in a million years say to somebody else right. and I, I I remember you know one day I was sitting here and I just go would you just shut up you're so mean you know <laughs> you're so mean right. to yourself why is that why do we hate ourselves so much or so cruel to to this you know this body of ours or that's a good question I don't know that I could answer for you exactly why we're so cruel to ourselves. I can tell you that uh, where it lives and, and that, you know, a lot of this again can be epigenetic or it can be past life. It really depends on the person. So that the circumstances can be unique, but the mental body really does get translated from lifetime to lifetime and epigenetically. So if your great grandfather or a grandfather of yours or someone's father was in the depression and really was committed to pride and poverty that, you know, righteousness and poverty, we might have that thought form that somehow to be poor is the only prideful place to be. And then we won't attract money into our lives, right. which is a version of cruelty to yeah. self. So it can be very wired in. And again, there before we got there. Yeah. So before we came in, so this is an important part. And I, the way I can liken it is that sometimes the thought forms are like saran wrap around the essence of the being. They're tightly wrapped around there and there's no air that's getting in. So it requires some uh, in more investigation and self-inquiry and also the practice of self-compassion, the embodiment of it. What does that mean? What does it look like? How do I really step in with myself? Interesting. Yeah. In, in coaching, you know, we, we call it underlying automatic commitment. And I had an underlying automatic commitment um, that I, I couldn't do anything big in my life until I lost weight. And, yeah. and, and I, I took that uh, about 10 years ago and I, and I took that thread and I went back, 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 back. And I, I, I ended up where um, I wanted a puppy. I was nine years old. And my mom said, you can't have a puppy until you lose some weight. Not that I was fat. Or overweight even but it was a control thing for her I think mm -hmm. and that started a lifetime of oh I can't do that till I lose weight oh I can't go there until I lose weight oh I uh, you know and it's interesting and maybe it went further back maybe I couldn't go further back but you know this is how you kind of uh, figure out I think those you know those commitments I go why would I think that way like why would I think that way and it finally you know it dawned on me that's why I would think that way absolutely yeah. And, and we all have things like that in our lives that, you know, if, if you really want to know, you, you just have to look at what's showing up in your life. And that's what you're committed to, not necessarily what you're committed to on your conscious level, but on your, you know, like Angelina's been saying on your uh, subconscious level, 
whether yeah. you know you put it there or not it doesn't matter it's there. Well, and this comes back to what kind of life and where where is it that we want to live from do we want to live from a more spiritual adult place um, a more adult place a more empowered place because a lot of those thought forms and limiting beliefs on those level, what you're calling commitments, they really limit possibility and they really begin to, over time, keep us in a very small or victimized or childlike place because we haven't utilized our level of inquiry or our ability to move in different perspectives around our consciousness to be able to embody a different level of empowerment or esteem ourselves differently. How many, how many people do you um, see that, that would say, well, you might say to them, well, where, you know, where in your body do you feel that? Or, uh, and, and they just, they, they don't have a clue. Like, they're just so out of touch with body. I would say that's pretty prevalent. It's a, a lot of people are very um, dissociated. They, they, we might say they live in their heads. They're not associated or they don't identify as sensing into their body as a priority or as a way of making contact with themselves and that is for a reason there's a reason why we don't they don't do that because it's a strategy to stay away or to be numb because it's safer when they were a child it might have been absolutely overwhelming to feel themselves wow and i mean in terms of like like our body like a giant computer and the body is our processor and mm -hmm. and so when you do your work it's like you know the programming's coming up that that has been hidden or you, you're the administrator you can get in there and and look at these things and find yeah. them yeah and hopefully you know just as importantly educate people to really reconnect to the mm -hmm. fullness of who they are because it's hard to get in touch with the depth of who you are through your mind. Only. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Um, the shadow self. I mean, a lot of people think about shadow as, um, you know, that, that mirror that, 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 you know, they say the things that you don't like in others are the things that you need to work on in yourself. That's kind of like your shadow self. Would you say that that's too simplistic a view of it? No, not necessarily. I, I think it's one, I think it's, I don't think it's everything. I think it's one part of it. And I think it's a very good first step in understanding shadow. I, I don't think anyone is going to fully understand shadow as a concept because it's a dynamic circumstance that we're all living in, meaning there's collective shadow too. And Things that are in shadow also unfold as we grow and as we unfold. So it's not, it's, it's a vast reservoir and part of the mystery of life. It's beyond just what we don't know about ourselves. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. so it's a bigger concept than just saying, okay, what's disowned in me does live in shadow. It is part of the shadow, but it's much more than that. However, I would say that if all one did was look at what is disowned and, and say what I don't like in that person I must not like in myself and we're, we were to have a process around that of identifying, acknowledging, accepting, letting go, forgiving, whatever it is that we need to do to metabolize or transmute that experience, that would be a huge step in the right direction and we wouldn't have to necessarily even understand the deeper complexities of consciousness, but that would make the world a much more cooperative and sustainable place because there's self-responsibility. 
So how would I know that it's not, they're just not hitting a value of mine or, and it's a real, it's, you know, something that I really do dislike in myself or does it matter? Well, it doesn't mean, it can also be a positive thing. It could also, you could think that, you know, somebody is very beautiful and mm-hmm. say, wow, you're so beautiful. And it could be that you disown your beauty. Right. And so, so people who have a problem receiving and just only want to give, that would almost be the same in a way? Yeah. I mean, I, I, if what you're asking me is, is that um, somebody who doesn't like, a lot of times people don't like to receive because they don't like to be vulnerable. Okay. So that makes they, sense. They project their vulnerability onto others and they want to give to that vulnerability to give through others. But it's one step away from the deeper reality is that they really want to be in their vulnerability and to receive love and feel and to know that they're unconditionally loved in their vulnerability but they're that they're one step away from that and so they move into doing that for others yeah a lot, I know I used to be a person who only liked to give and mm-hmm. I realized that it was selfish to be mm-hmm. that way and that other people in, must enjoy giving as much as I do so I should allow you know them to give and, and me be a receiver. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it was very uncomfortable for a long time. And I didn't know if it was because I was afraid I might not like what they're giving me and, and I didn't want to hurt their feelings or I don't, I don't know. It, maybe part of it was that. But um, I realized that it, that it wasn't very kind. So um, we switched it up. <laughs> yeah, well, and receiving is vulnerable. Yeah. You know, you have to have your hands open and you have to be willing to receive. And that that creates a stance of vulnerability. And that's something that I I feel like a lot of people have a challenge with is being vulnerable and being receiving people, though. You know, it's things. And I don't know if that makes a difference or not. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it would be wired for each person differently. Mm -hmm. You know, circumstances Mm -hmm. can be unique for each person, you know, but I think one thing that happens, too, is, is that. You know, we tend to, I think early on when we're loving, we tend to love people the way we want to be loved. And and it takes quite a bit of maturity to learn to love somebody the way they need to be loved. Very true. Very true. Wise words to go into a commercial break with because that is a, a, a sign of maturity for sure. Yeah. Is is learning to love people the way that they need it, not the way we want to give it. Right. So, Yeah. something to think about yeah often I think that once we learn to love ourselves more easily it's it's easier to move around in the facility of how to love another Mm -hmm. we're going to commercial break you heard the wise words of Angelica Singh and we will be back in just a moment don't go anywhere that's right don't stop listening Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages stop It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Did you know that the average teenager drinks twice as much soda as milk? Since 1983, sugar consumption in the U.S. is up 28%. Why is that? There are several reasons, but one of the most common is soft drinks. 20-ounce beverages have become the norm, and it's not surprising to find that 43% of our sugar comes from drinks. Sugar is blamed for poor nutritional diets. 
USDA data shows that people whose diets are high in added sugar eat less calcium, fiber, iron, protein, and many other important nutrients. Fat-free foods are also a culprit. Since sugar is fat-free, many people tend to think it's okay to eat as much as they want. Remember that just because a food is fat-free does not mean that it's calorie-free also. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. This is the Tokinet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Notice that no matter how carefully you put the Christmas lights away, they still come out all cringle crangled and jitterty jitterty the next year. Christmas tree lights were invented in 1882 by Thomas Edison, and by 1900, these miniature versions of his electric light bulb were being advertised to the public. In 1895, Grover Cleveland proudly sponsored the first electrically lit Christmas tree in the White House, featuring more than a hundred multicolored lights. By the next Christmas, members of high society were hosting flambustious Christmas tree parties. Of course, in those early days, the services of a wireman had to be obtained, as many people had considered electricity as a bit of a bugaboo. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. It's Mission Unstoppable Radio, and my guest today is Angelica Singh. And I just want to put out, you know, a little prayer for, for those um, who just experienced, you know, this, this horrible um, weather conditions in Houston and now with Hurricane Irma doing her thing um, off, you know, the coast of the Caribbean and maybe Florida. Let's say a little prayer for everybody, and hopefully everybody will survive and it won't be as devastating as they say it's going to be. Um, Angelica, you have... Um, I'm going to call it a fifth appendage <laughs> in that, that you, you, you have a pendulum that is like almost an extension of you. Huh. <laughs> That's funny. I don't know how you know that, but yes, I do. I use my pendulum quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you use it um, for, you know, what are you using it for exactly? Like I, I use a pendulum a lot too, but I, I'm curious for you. Well, for me, I mean, one of the things that I think happened for me is, is that I, in the process of my healing and being in more stillness and dealing with my trauma is a lot of my own gifting opened up, not really from anything other than just sitting in a lot of stillness. And as that happened, I became more aware of being able to what I would call kind of pierce the veils. Mm-hmm of different realities, dimensions, see past lives, understand when people were unwell, what was making them unwell. And what I found is is that using a pendulum helped me really filter through and choose the right file and choose the right question. And, And really, it's a process of inquiry. It's a tool of inquiry that helps me know where the information is coming from. Mm hmm so that I can just be more efficient in what I'm telling someone. Because obviously a pendulum isn't, it's really one's own connection to source and the unconscious. So it's not some magical tool. It's It's a divination tool to some degree, but it's really the level of stillness and neutrality we can have. So it really can help with that. 
I, I always tell people when I train people to work with it, it's not an eight ball. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not a, it, I don't use it for future predictions and things like that. I, I, that isn't what it's for. It's really a process of sorting through the most essential information for someone's highest good and for understanding the energetics or the dynamics of the situation so that that person can be more attuned to themselves and learn the lessons they need to learn and fulfill whatever that curriculum or whatever that destiny is and complete it. Could you use it or do you use it instead of muscle testing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's another way, you know, if I, if I need to find out, um, I don't really work with um, the body in that way so much. Right. I work with it because I see differently. I see more the emotional patterning, the karmic, the underlying part. But absolutely, you can use it as a muscle tester. I use it, I you know, when I teach people to use it, their first field trip is to the grocery store to check out which olive oils are the best. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and exercise. I, oh, that's funny. I love it. So and, I have to create like a rating scale and they figure out, is it a 10, a 9, an 8? Like, is it rancid? You know, and they use it that way. Interesting. Were they surprised? Yeah, I mean, I think when you do something with that's that neutral, you know, use something that's a little more neutral, you're not asking whether or not you're, you know, you're pregnant, you're asking, right. you know, something about an olive oil. So I think it's a better way to learn, you know, start yeah. out with something that's more neutral and that you don't have an attachment to, you tend to cultivate a better, the muscle of neutrality gets stronger. Um, you mentioned karmic um, influences just a second ago. And is there a difference, you know, between karma and the those patterns that we come in with from our ancestors. Well, everything is karmic. So okay. ancestral epigenetic that's also karmic. I, I think that I don't you know karmic in terms of like the way that I experience it and one of the first things I ask myself when I'm working with somebody, are we dealing with an epigenetic pattern? are we dealing with simply a past life pattern? Because sometimes you can have a past life pattern that's not really connected specifically to your ancestry or your genetic lineage. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, like for example, if you had a karmic thing or something from a past life, that would get recapitulated in the relationships in your family patterning because it would have to come up some way. Right. So you would have similar challenges that one would be able to relate to. And, you know, without a doubt, I mean, it, it's very helpful because I can say something about someone's past life experience and they will know immediately something that they experienced in this life or something they had a strong reaction to. Like for me, I had some very difficult past life stuff around Native Americans and in uh, I, I couldn't watch movies that had mm -hmm. Native American destruction. It was so painful for me. And I realized that this went on for a long time. And so maybe 10 years ago, I set out to go to the Southwest because I knew I had to resolve this. This was something that I was carrying. And it didn't have anything to do with my family. Mm -hmm. It had to do some, with something that had happened to me, you know, and, and an imprint I was carrying. And it was, it was very uh, liberating to be able to do something like that. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I kind of did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's very interesting. And you know what's interesting too is this 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 kind of boggles my mind in a way is that people do their DNA yeah testing. But really their DNA testing on a spiritual level has nothing to do with the past lives that they had. Right. That's true. That's accurate. 
Absolutely. But it can sometimes explain certain things. And I mean, when we get into it, it's much more complicated also because sometimes people pick up fragmentations of different souls before they could become one body. Mm -hmm. So we're not always just like one human soul incarnated into another human soul. It doesn't work like that. Okay. It can, but it doesn't always. Okay. But it is interesting because that kind of, I went, eh, that's kind of weird. Yeah. It doesn't really compute, you know? Yeah. No, it if doesn't. I was going to, because I could come back in anything, anywhere. Yeah. It's much more complex than just sort of one for one. What do you think? I'm I'm just very curious. So what do you think about, um, let's say people who, who live in, let's say a place like Bangladesh, like very, you know, bad things, you know, always happen, uh, whether it be weather or, you know, whatever it is like, but, but there's so many, so many souls over there and, you know, why are we so lucky here? And they were so unlucky there. Was, was it really their choice to go there? If we're looking at on a spiritual level that they wanted to overcome some karma or is it just, you know, that's where they were born or like, I mean, I just have to feel for, for them sometimes and think, wow, like, you know, that could have been well, me or why I wasn't have, it me? Yeah. I think the question you're asking is extremely important and something that if all of us contemplated a little bit more the relative privilege that we have versus someone who is growing up in the Rwandan genocide or mm -hmm. they don't have clean water, I don't think that there is no punishing God. So we are all choosing. And sometimes souls come in collectively in tribal groups to carry collective karma, to deal with certain things. Um, I don't think there's any real uh, way that we're going to know all the answers to sure. why these things are going on. However, I think the question you're asking is really important for those of us who grow up in the privileged West to understand the spectrum of suffering, the yeah. spectrum of reality of the human circumstance and experience. And it's not to say oh, well, your trauma doesn't matter because they have it way worse. It's, it's not about that. It, if anything, it could be a call to action, a way to respond to our own trauma, to dedicate our resources and our priorities to getting well inside of ourselves, to do the inner work, especially now more than ever because we have such a polarized society in the West now, particularly in this country, the United States. And so I do believe that contemplating that is very useful because there are people who are, you know, the Yazidis in, in, in Syria being totally wiped out and the women, you know, the population, it's just abominable to see the human cruelty and how to contemplate why are they choosing that incarnation and I have this incarnation and, you know, it's being able to consider all of the many facets of the human existence. So in other words, if we, I mean, yeah, I, and I got all that, it, but if we over here, because we are so privileged, we actually have the opportunity to raise our consciousness in a much, you know, easier way in some yeah. ways that if we raise our consciousness, then that goes out to the rest of the world and, and helps raise everything. Absolutely. So we, that's how we can help other Absolutely. than, you know, money and all that, but that's how we can help. Absolutely. I think not everybody has access to the level of resources, but we all have access to our goodness. 
Mm-hmm. We all have access to self-responsibility and to make an effort and and to be willing to um, redeem and metabolize and digest our own trauma. We have that ability here in the West like no other time, like no other people. And that does make a huge difference in transforming the world. It makes the goodness outshine the darkness. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of goodness. I mean, people forget, people think that it's all dark, but it's not. I mean, there's a lot of goodness. And I meet people like yourself all the time. I bring them on the shows all the time, specifically to show my audience that, um, you know, the whole world is not as negative as they think it is. There's a lot of positivity going on. And it has to be chosen. We have to choose our goodness over and over again. And we have to believe in it, in ourselves and in others. That doesn't mean we should have no boundaries with others. Obviously, if somebody's not operating from that place, we need to have good instincts and good boundaries and discernment. But we ourselves do not have to give up our goodness because others are not acting from that place. Exactly. I mean, I choose to live in a world where I, I trust people until I don't. You know, where I think they're going to be good and respond in a, in, in a kind way until they don't. And that's, you know, the world I want to live in. So that's my choice and, and your choice and everybody's choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Angelica, we're out of time. Please go to www.angelicasing.com. Um, Angelica's going to be a new mommy soon, about three months. And I want to wish you well and your baby well. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Thanks for that. And when is um, your online um, course going to be available? Do you know? Yes. March of 2018. Yes. We will look for that. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to it. Thank you so much for having me. It was so good to talk to you. You're so so great for your audience. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And Ben and JD, JD, thank you. J-Dog, thank you so much for producing the show today. I will see you guys next week as well. Take care, everyone. Wherever you are in the world, bless you. Bye. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.